What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Car Stuff. My name is Ben Bolin. I do a number of things at a website called HowStuffWorks.com. And I'm Scott Benjamin. I'm the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. How's it going, Ben? It's going well, Scott. How are you doing? Good. We just uh, spent a long moment staring at each other, figuring out who's going to start the podcast. We always do that. Yeah, yeah. There was there was that. Um, <laughs> I think we were a playing. Pregnant, it was a pregnant moment. It was a pregnant pause. Yeah. Um, but we're we're both kind of excited about this because, you know, every once in a while, the powers that be let us do one of our favorite types of episodes. Yes, that's right. We're going to do nuts and bolts again because uh, – this is one where we just get to talk about anything that we feel like, right? Mm-hmm. And we have so much listener mail. I mean, for Pete's sake, we ask for listener mail at the end of every episode, <laughs> the least we can do. And it piles up and piles up and piles up until we finally get a chance to uh, to do something like this where we can just uh, you know, go through and really, I guess, make some sense out of all of it. Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't heard these sort of podcasts from us before, basically what we do is we go through um, a bunch of listener mail that we thought was interesting, we thought you'd like to hear about, mm-hmm. and then we talk about some things that are equally fascinating but maybe not long enough on their own to make a full episode. Sure, maybe a couple of things we forgot to mention during a podcast uh, in the last couple of weeks. Which happens every time. It does. It seems like as soon as we stop, as soon as we read that email address mm-hmm. at the end, the next thing I do is I usually grab my forehead and say, Oh, I forgot something. <laughs> That's true. You yeah, do. I, I do it every time. And, uh, you know, there's just, there's a lot of stuff going on. I've been some places. I've seen some things. Yeah, done some we stuff. Need to, done some stuff. <laughs> That's right. So we need to talk about that and uh, some of the, the possible topics coming up out of that. Yeah. Do you um, want to kick it off? Yeah. You know what? Let's uh, I'll start off with some listener mail because, um, like I said, we, I've got a reasonable amount here this time. I think we're going to be able to get to all of it. All I mean, right. Like, you got a stack too, so we'll Yeah, see. we might have some doubles we'll, too. Uh, we'll try. Okay. All right. Let's see. I'll just try to go through these real quick. Just a few. Mm. Uh, Gavin from Wales in the United Kingdom. Hey, All Gavin. Right. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. How about an episode on the modified tuning car scene? It's big here in the UK, and uh, he says, judging by the Fast and Furious movies, it's big in the US too. <laughs> it's been a while, but um, yeah, that's a good idea. Tuning good cars. We've actually got tuning cars on a list somewhere, I know. Yeah, we do. Uh, um, I've, I've got one. Okay. All right, so uh, Patrick writes in to say, 
Hey guys, uh, love the episode about gas pumps. I'm a flight instructor up here in Washington. I thought I would let you know that almost all piston aircraft still run a leaded fuel called 100 LL, low lead. Because oh. remember when we had talked about why do they have that unleaded sure. sign? Yeah. Uh, it's in case you land your aircraft. Anyway, he says the, uh, EPA uh, is really trying hard to outlaw this fuel, but as of now, there's no suitable alternative. They chime in, and he said, uh, also, one state south in Oregon, it is state law that you cannot pump your own gas. And in Seattle, we have biodiesel pumps. So you're saying low lead, not uh, not unleaded without ethanol. Right, right. It, it uh, From what Patrick is telling us, there is this fuel for piston aircraft that does contain lead. Oh, cool. So those unleaded signs you serve know, a purpose. You know, one of the landscaping places I used to work at had uh, had trucks that were so old that we'd have to buy the lead in a in a jar. Oh, the additive? Uh, yeah, the additive where you would squeeze it up into a cup and then pour it in per per gallon that, you know, you would pump. It was kind of a neat thing. But, um, yeah, big, old, huge dump truck, really old. I wish I knew what year it was, late 50s, early 60s, I think. Wow. Um, it was Monster, kind of classic. A, yeah, it was like a dinosaur. Really cool. Looking, though. It was neat. It was neat to watch it move because you couldn't believe this thing was doing what it was doing. Okay, sorry. No, side, no. What's side known. That's what this is for, right? Yes. Um, here, you know, I'm going out of order here because you mentioned the gas pumps episode, right? Yes, sir. Uh, here's another one. Ryan from Escondido, California. I like saying that, Escondido, California. <laughs> Uh, greetings, salutations, and a mighty fine hello to you both, Scott and Ben. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Listen to you guys in the car while I'm on road, uh, roads, on the road making my sales calls. Uh, I just finished listening to your podcast on gas pumps and I couldn't help but email you guys about this. Oh, I remember okay. this one. Yeah. He says he works for a petroleum distribution company in Southern California that owns and operates 14 gas stations. Uh, the podcast struck home just a little bit because you mentioned older style gas pumps that are still in operation around the country. Uh, but, most of the fuel pumps at our gas stations are the older style you were mentioning. Uh, since we don't operate retail gas stations, but commercial ones that service businesses who operate a fleet of vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, they're essentially completely unmanned 24-hour fuel stations that have no posted price and will not take a major credit card to for the fuel purchase. Um, the equipment used at the sites are on the older side. It's almost like driving into a time warp when you pull into one of my stations. Um, I've included a few pictures I thought you guys might enjoy. Thanks for putting together such an informative and entertaining podcast. Um, <laughs> and it helps the models go by just a little bit quicker. So, um, thanks, Ryan. And, uh, I looked at the photos. Those were pretty cool. They were, yeah. they were the type, they were the exact type I was mentioning. Yeah. They uh, were. The big square type with mm-hmm. the numbers that tick off, uh, you know. Yeah, like, like the old, old school odometer looking yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. the old alarm clock. Yeah, the old odometer almost. Um, Escondido. Really cool. Yeah, and he had some, uh, even had some stuff, you know, they had like the glass top. Tanks. Yeah. I think those were on display, you know, near the station, but, yeah. but still, um, pretty neat. Pretty and neat. you're right. It is, it is pretty, <laughs> it is pretty cool to say Escondido. Yeah. I'm going to try not to say it anymore. Um, <laughs> okay. And so we have, we also have, uh, uh, Jacob comes in with a, a suggestion for an upcoming podcast. He mm-hmm. says, uh, dear Ben and Scott, my name is Jacob. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now. I thought it would be cool if you guys would make an episode about locomotives, hmm. diesel electric locomotives in particular, because I, Jacob, heard somewhere that modern day locomotives get upwards of 300 miles per gallon. If that's true, then why haven't they implemented diesel electric technology into cars? It probably wouldn't be as efficient, but 100 plus miles per gallon is not that bad. Thanks for taking the time to read my email, Jacob. We even read it out loud and on the air. Can you hear me shuffling right now, Ben? Because um, I've got some news for Jacob. Uh-oh. I had this one uh, down as well. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm just going to wing it here. 
Wing it. BMW has a car called the Vision. The Vision. And the Vision is a, uh, is a diesel hybrid, diesel electric hybrid, really. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they are working on this. Uh, the, the, I'm going to just, I'm squinting trying to remember what this was, but I think it was 62 miles per gallon is what this thing gets. It's a concept vehicle. Mm-hmm. Looks really cool, but check out the BMW Vision, uh, concept vehicle. It does use the diesel electric hybrid technology that he's talking about, and uh, it doesn't get you know even a hundred miles per gallon yet. But sixty-two, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, but it's nowhere close to the three hundred miles per gallon that uh, the locomotives get. Yeah, but we do need to talk about that. You know how how do they do that? Because that's something you would think that would get just terrible, just terrible, terrible yeah. fuel economy. But um, really, they do. Very, very well, and we'll find out why. So, so we've got uh, the modified tuning scene, and we've got locomotives. Yeah, it does write it down. I'm yeah. keeping so, track. So we're going to uh, we're gonna get around to these guys, I promise. So. Yeah. Did I say promise? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it, though. All right, here's one from uh, Eric. Uh-huh. Eric is from uh, – oh, he's hyphenetically pronounced this for me. Okay. Ludowisi. Ludowisi, Georgia. You ever heard of it? Ludowisi is not like Ludwice? No, no, Ludowisi. Cool. Little Weezy. Okay. Um, says I was on – this is one about our um, tanks episode. Awesome. All right. Um, American, I was on active duty for eight years. I was both on the M60A3 Patton tank and the M1 Abrams tank. Wow. Uh, the Sabo is around that um, – this is about the, the ammunition. Yeah. Is around that has an outer sleeve around the main projectile. As the round exits the cannon, the outer sleeve falls away. It has three petals that peel away. Um, and the penetrating rod has the force of 120 millimeters, but is only about 35 millimeters in diameter. So, uh, very, very powerful, Whoa. powerful yeah. rod. Um, you also asked if the M1 was the first tank to be able to fire on the move. Remember we talked about mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I thought the M1 Abrams was the first to fire on the move. Uh, the M, he says, no, that's not true. The M60A3 could also move and shoot, but the M1 is just far better at it. Oh, okay. So that's it. That's from, uh, that's from Eric. Thank you, Eric. And Thanks, Eric. Thank you for your service as well, Eric. Yes. Uh, let's see. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. You want to go or you want me to? Because I got two from the same person here. Uh, let's see. Um, here we go. Tell you what, this, wait, wait. Let's let's hold off for one moment here. Yeah, we've done a few of these already, right? Oh, we're it's talking time for about else. we're yeah. talking about military. Mm-hmm. Um, I this last weekend I happened to go to somewhere that uh, had some unique vehicles that I thought would have mentioned here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You have to introduce his stuff. Scott sees. Okay, this is stuff. Scott sees. How's that? Thank you. Uh, okay, I'm just giving him a blank stare now. That's, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, sorry. All right, so um, I went to, on a trip uh, this weekend with my family to the National Infantry Museum, uh, which is in Columbus, Georgia. That's at Fort Benning. It's about two and a half miles or two and a half hours south of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was interesting. It was fun. And uh, they happen to have a lot of unique vehicles there. It's a huge building, really cool, and I would recommend that anybody should go check this place out if you get a chance, uh, just because, you know, of, of it's really, really inspiring. It's it's beautiful place. You wouldn't believe what these guys go through. It's it's unbelievable. It goes all the way through from the American Revolution all the way through current day, uh, wow. through the War on Terror, mm-hmm. and they have uh, rooms and and dress and um, you know, uh, they even had they had a burned out version of uh, a burned confiscated copy of Mein Kampf there that they had they had. Um, taken during the war, um, they had all kinds of uh, ammunition and, and guns and mm-hmm. um, a lot of military dress. You know, wounded soldier type stuff. You know that they had come back with. You know that had survived uh, bullet holes in them. It was really, 
Really interesting. Wow. Really interesting. Um, but they had enormous displays. One of the things I noticed was they had a CG4 glider that was attached to the, to the roof. Now, this is a big place. Huge uh, warehouse yeah, type it place, must right? be. <laughs> um, a CG4 glider, for anybody that doesn't know and I didn't know, is a fabric and plywood glider that was used during World War II, and it was considered disposable. This thing is enormous. These are huge, and they're just they're considered disposable. When you look at it, you'd have no idea. It was, it was painted a navy blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were painted green or blue, I believe. Um, Fourteen thousand of these were used in World War II. How, how about how big? Oh, they're enormous. If, if I mean, guessed. if I guess, um, sixty feet across. Good wingspan. Wow. Big. If I if I had to guess, that's a that's a ball, it may be forty. I don't know. Green or blue is blue, and it was way up on the ceiling, and it was in the dark. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure, but. Um, these things were towed by a C-47 aircraft with a nylon rope, and that's how they were launched. Um, and they could carry – this gives you an idea how big they are. For the payload, they could carry one of these, okay? They could either carry a Jeep, a howitzer, um, a quarter-ton trailer, or 13 troops with all of their equipment. What? And these things were considered disposable. So you would you would coast this thing down to the ground, mm-hmm. leave it. That's it. It's done. It's a rough landing. Unless, uh, unless you're landing on a base where they could reuse it. I mean, if you were landing, you know, they were just trying to get material from place to place. They could mm-hmm. fly a jeep or troops or whatever in these things, and uh, and park it on a runway and then reuse it again. I guess. Wow. But uh, I thought that was really kind of uh, kind of yeah. interesting. They had other vehicles there. They had you know a tank. They had a couple of helicopters, mm-hmm. um, and they had this something called. And this is pretty interesting. This is called the Howie Belly Flopper. You ever heard of the Howie Belly Flopper? Is it? Oh, oh, is it a? Um, is it amphibious? No. Oh, then no. No, no. this it. is called the Howie Belly Flopper, and it's named for one of the inventors who was who was at Fort Benning when they developed this thing. They they developed two guys developed this basically with their own budget. Um, it's really a stripped down Jeep with an Austin engine, uh-huh. and you're, you're sitting on the flat pan of the you're you're laying down on the flat pan of the uh, of the um, chassis, I guess. Okay. Uh, really, really low profile vehicle. The engine's fully exposed. Uh, you drive it laying down. You drive it completely laying down with another person, and there's a gun, a machine gun, mounted to this thing. It has a real low profile for fighting. Uh-huh. Um, they found out, however, that uh, the thing had um, – well, it didn't have four-wheel drive. That's one flaw that it had for military use. And the other flaw was that it just couldn't be used for very rough terrain uh, mm-hmm. because of its low clearance. Yeah. But uh, other than that, this thing – it was really a really strange-looking vehicle. But again, developed by a couple of guys right there at Fort Benning, a couple of soldiers there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think – well, I was going to say maybe a, a sergeant, but um, it, one of the guys' names was Howie, was Howie. That's how they came up with the Howie belly flopper. I think we have a – part of our Jeep article on HowStuffWorks.com has something about the Howie belly flopper. So if you want to look at that, nice. uh, it's a way to check it so, out. So the operational advantage then is is really it's low profile. Extremely low profile. Okay. Get in, hit your target, get back out. But the problem was it wasn't four-wheel drive, wasn't – Equipped for extremely rough terrain. Mm, okay. So, anyway, yeah, that's uh, that'd be a deal breaker. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's in Columbus, Georgia, yeah. at Fort Benning, and uh, you know you should check it out because there's some other unique vehicles there as well that you know I didn't mention. But I'm um, stuck on. You had me at glider. Yeah, that was really cool. I want I want one of those. Um, let's see. I've got a. I've got an email here. Um, this is actually a thank you note, Scott. Oh, uh, nice. Our friend, our listener, Andrew writes in. Uh, and he talks about how he was part of the incredibly difficult uh, commute 
in Washington D.C. Oh yeah, during the during uh, I guess the first round of blizzards. This right? is the seven or eight hour commute. Yeah, it took him seven hours to drive eight miles, Scott. <laughs> and he says one of the – check it out. This is cool. He says one of the only reasons I made it home at all was having the right supplies in my car before the storm started. <laughs> what? You want a high five? <laughs> very good. Very that good. was – Yeah, that good. That, that, that's Fairly nice to hear it, it helped someone out. And he said, now, if only more DC drivers had listened to the snow driving podcast, there wouldn't have been such a backup in the first place. Probably right. Probably right. Well, you know, Andrew, uh, thank you for putting us on a pedestal with that. I, I, that's very, that's very nice of you, but to us, I think the main thing that is, uh, important and awesome about this is that you did make it home. Uh, gosh, man, seven hours, eight miles. That's a long way. Yeah. Or that's hat, a long time, rather. Yeah. Hats off to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I would have given up and walked. I probably would have pulled over and gone to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's, see, that's the thing. The people that did that, they came back and the vehicles are gone. They're towed, you know? Oh, yeah, So yeah. that's the trouble. Yeah. Yeah, better off to stay inside the car. Well, this guy is a commute soldier, wow. so. What, uh, Very what, good. good. What job. do you got for me? I got a couple here from uh, someone named Jenny. Ooh, it's a lady. <clears throat> Excuse me. Getting ready. The, um, I thought you were just like, don't do a lady no. voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna do a lady voice. Don't worry. But, uh, this is from Jenny. Uh-huh. And Jenny is from Monticello, uh, Minnesota. Cool. MN, Minnesota, right? Yes. Yeah. Just checking. Thank, thank goodness. I think I'd know that. Um, <laughs> all right. So there's a couple. I'm just gonna read through these, uh, just real quick because, uh, one's a little longer than the other one. Sure. Um, catching up on some past episodes, listen to the radar guns detection of human powered vehicles. Uh, so, okay, here we go with, uh, radar detection. Uh, a couple of funny, funny things. Uh, this is one after, she got a ticket after taking her first grader to a trip to the Minnesota Zoo. Um, let's see, one of the things that they, uh, oh, it was something about a guy who was going to run through a, uh, uh, stop sign, and sure enough, he did. Yeah. She made a, uh, a move around him, caught the attention of the trooper behind her for doing that maneuver, not really necessarily he didn't see the person that ran the stop sign, oh, but gave no. her a ticket instead yeah. for making this evasive mover, maneuver. Illegal maneuver. Um, yeah. They made her go to. Uh, this is what's weird. She had to. Uh, she she had to. She got a ticket, but with a catch. She could avoid the fine and the report of, uh, on her driving record if she were to attend a driver safety course. Okay. Ah. So they made her register in person and made her walk through the county jail, this time with her four-year-old son. What? Or it just says with a four-year-old. Okay. And it says I got a few good questions about that from the four-year-old uh, to get to the registration window, which was she thought was a really nice tactic, uh, sarcastically. You have to course, walk but, uh, through the jail? Yeah, I had to walk through the county jail in order to get to the registration window for this uh, for this driver course. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Anyways, there's more to it than that, but uh, one of the other things she mentioned was something about a recumbent bike. In 1980, she was seven, reading her new subscription to Ranger Rick magazine. No way, Ranger Rick. Do <laughs> yeah, you remember right. that? I do. Oh, you I got do. me, Jenny. Still, uh, still can be found in dentist's office everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think the first issue I ever got had an article about recumbent style enclosed bicycle thing. Um, the the anecdote, anecdote at the beginning was about, uh, which was set in 1988, by the way. The was about uh, pouring rain. Best friend calls you over to play video games, and though he lives 45 miles away, you hop on your enclosed bike thingy and make it there in 15 minutes. First off, she was disappointed in 1988 when it didn't come to fruition, of course. Sure, sure. Um, but now as a parent, who in the heck would ever let her kid ride in a plastic bag enclosed on a bike? Through the rain, of course. Oh, come 45 on. miles away. All right. Well, anyways. Oh, one, one last thing yeah. on this mail is that um, – 
She says you both always talk about how old you are and how, <laughs> and she's worried because anything we reference makes, uh, is making us feel old is stuff that she remembers as well. And she says you're not old. So that awesome. should make us feel better. Uh, we're forever young or yeah, something. Yeah. All right. I, I got one. Uh, Robert writes into us, uh, from all the way from Italy. And, uh, he says, uh, let's check this out. Uh, Italy. Uh, yes. All right. Very uh, good. Not Italy, Georgia, the country. Oh, oh, really? No, okay. I don't know. Wouldn't that be cool if there yeah, was a yeah, town sure. named Italy? Probably is. There probably is. Um, so Robert says, uh, this is in response to our breaking in engines for oh, new cars. Yeah, I remember podcast. That. You remember this? Sure. One. Um, all right. So he says, okay, you guys are right on when it comes to breaking in normal daily drivers. But says Robert, the caveat is this: if you have a high end sports car or a supercar. Mm-hmm. He says uh, he has a job. He thinks we both like. Uh, I used to own a company where we would take sports cars and supercars across the country to break them in. We had to stay below the suggested RPMs, like you said, for 5,000 miles. When we finished, we took it back to the dealership where they were shipped to the manufacturer. The engine was pulled, checked, and delivered back to the dealership so I could deliver the car to the owner. At that point, you could drive the way God intended. A bat out of uh, um, heck. Very nice. I'm paraphrasing at the end. So there. this guy, his job was to drive supercars and was sports to break cars them in. across country. That's just amazing. That sounds like an awesome job. Yeah, that nice one, Robert. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, but um, but also, you know, that is a that is a good point. In our breaking in engines, we were mainly talking about like modern daily drivers. I think we, you know, I thought we had mentioned race. cars. I thought we did too. I think we mentioned race cars, but um, if we didn't, good catch. But mm. um, I know that there's. Some people subscribe to the opposite of what we had talked about. Nice. And that's, uh, that's that, you know, there's, there's another way to do this. And, and there's a guy out there. I think it's Moto Man. Is that right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Um, he has a, a very long write up about how to do it exactly. And, and, you know, some of the benefits you can get from that. But, um, uh-huh. I've often heard that about race cars that, you know, there's a way to do it and you do it quick. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you do it at high speeds. And there was some talk about James Dean and his vehicle um, that he was supposedly breaking in the engine on his new Porsche when that accident happened. And yeah, um, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not 100% positive about that. But uh, as far as results, you know, the guy's got numbers to prove it. But you know, I guess I don't know. Look at that with uh, with your own eye, really, and see what you think. Yeah, check check it out. And as always, when when you're contemplating that kind of stuff about breaking in an engine, to be fair. Uh, Look at your car specifically. You know, um, when you see other people, no matter what kind of expert they are, when they're talking about um, a type of vehicle, the rules for that vehicle may not necessarily apply to your own. True. So yeah, true. Everyone's different. Yeah, everyone's different. Every every car. Yeah. All right, I got a couple more here. Lay this on. one. Uh, this is another one from uh, from Jenny. Remember, I told you I had two. Oh, you, you did. And say the only two. reason I'm reading this one also is because it leads into another note um, from another listener. So I'm going to read two in a row here. But nice. Um, Jenny wrote in. I don't know if it was before or after the last one, but um, just listen to the hybrid resale episode. Oh, that? yes. Okay. Yep. Very informative. Liked it. Uh, got the message loud and clear that you need to exercise judgment <laughs> and knowledge when buying a new hybrid. Uh, but how about used? She mentions used hybrid sales. Okay. Nice. Um, so the lower, lower resale value might mean a person could find a pretty good deal on a used hybrid. How do we feel about that? 
and she's curious because she's a mom returning to college, mm-hmm. drives 60 plus miles round trip, three at least three days a week in a Chrysler town and country, so a minivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they own a Corolla. Her husband drives that for his 90 to 90 mile daily round commute. That's a long way. Wow. Uh, but it'd be nice to find a deal on something that's better gas mileage for the duration of my time at school. All right. So, okay. So she's looking for a combination of cheap and fuel efficient, right? And, right. She, and she's considering purchasing a hybrid, a used a hybrid. A used hybrid. Now, remember, we, we, we kind of dealt with this a little bit, I think, mm. in the past. But um, here's a note from that, that um, Jenny might find interesting from Robbie Harp. Oh, sorry, Robbie from uh, Dallas, Texas. Robbie oh, from Dallas. Yeah. Robbie from Dallas. Okay. Um, it was quite a coincidence you released your, released your hybrid car resale value podcast at the time you did. In November 2002, we bought a brand new Honda Civic Hybrid. A few years ago, or a few weeks ago, rather, at 105,000 miles, the check engine light appeared. I know. A trip to the dealership, uh, and we found the hybrid system battery had failed. Oh. 105,000, okay? Oh, The man. warranty on the battery is 80,000 miles, um, and Honda Goodwill Assistance refuses to pick up any of the $3,500 plus tax tab on this thing. I am shaking my fist at the sky for you. $3,500. And they're just out of warrant. Well, a good deal out of for I mean, yeah, $25,000 out of, of is uh, out. So in Texas, the emissions test checks for check engine light. And if it's present, the car will not pass inspection. Regardless of emissions. Exactly. And the huh. problem is this, that light's not going to go off unless you fix this battery, right? Which is 3500 bucks. Now, the car's blue book value is $4,000 if running correctly. So that pretty much leaves us with a net value of $0 after eight years and 105,000 miles. So now they have a car that can't be driven legally. Oh, because that's terrible. Because once it gets to the point of registration, which is your birthday or whatever sure. you know, the renewal date is, you're done. You can't even have it on the road. So they're in a really bad position oh, here with this thing. So, um, and they're not alone. They said you could do a quick Google search and find out they're not alone. Uh, when, when they bought the car, they were considering a Volkswagen TDI. Mm-hmm. A Jetta TDI. Okay. Um, and we were comparing, when we talked about it, we were comparing the Civic to the Civic Hybrid. Sure. Apples to apples. Yeah. But she says that for better comparison, she thinks um, TDI is probably more a better comparison due to price and fuel mileage. Okay. You mean so they, he? Oh. Well, Robbie. I don't know. Robbie. I don't oh, know. You Maybe. know what? That could go either way. I'm guessing. We're hedging um, our bets, Okay. Robbie. Well, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, but TDI. Robbie said that TDI is is better comparison because of the price and fuel mileage. So price is the same to the hybrid. Mm-hmm. Fuel mileage is about the same, but okay. it's a different vehicle completely. Um, so if they had bought the TDI, they'd still have a car they could drive instead of a $21,000 paperweight, as Robbie calls it. Ouch. Um, the TDI, well, it, this is some guessing, but it says the TDIs will most likely go 300,000 miles mm-hmm. uh, without having this kind of issue. Of course, there's not going to be a battery issue because there is no battery other than the you know the nickel metal, yeah the traditional nickel metal hybrid car battery, battery. Or, sorry nickel metal nickel metal battery um so the, the the question then is what's the real impact of hybrids because you know if they had bought this other vehicle yeah. they would still have this car they could drive now they've got a car that's pretty much junk what's going to happen to the uh, to the battery pack what's going to happen to mm-hmm. well there's the whole vehicle that's pretty much scrap at this point i mean unless somebody wants to put the money into it and make it exactly it's it's what it's worth really Right. It's worth zero to them. So, um, is the impact even higher for something like that? And we've, we've talked about that, I think, in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the real impact? And I know we've got a ton of articles on the site about this too. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the, the true numbers? But looking back, you know, you, 
and and Robbie mentions this. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to like the you know the Geo Metro and the hybrid CRX HF that got forty or fifty miles a gallon, forty five or fifty, and that was twenty years ago at wow. this point. So you know, I had a I had a Festiva, a Ford Festiva. Yeah, and did that, you? That thing got it must have must have been getting fifty miles a gallon or sixty miles a gallon on the highway. Uh-huh. It was unbelievable, and that's twenty years ago. I mean, what what happened? I think it's the you know the weight of um, you know, safety features and things like that, of yeah. course. But, um, I don't know. It seems like, you know, what happened? And Ravi has the same question. Like what, what, what happened to that, that formula? What happened to that, that ability to get that kind of mileage out of just a simple, you know, four cylinder or even three cylinder in some cases car? I know that, you know, the, the safety issue and everything, but, um, seems like we could be doing a little bit better. It does. And, you know, there is sort of a, uh, trade off. Like, you know how there's that, uh, it's the triangle joke. It's a visual joke where mm-hmm. uh, at the points of the triangle, there are three things. There's one thing at each point, mm-hmm. and you can have two of those three things, yeah, but you can never have all three. Yes. So you've got like you know speed, or you've got like performance, luxury, and Fuel then economy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I understand what you mean. But uh, it, I mean, Robbie's right. I mean, what, what happened? What happened? What happened? That's I'm just gonna leave it that. What happened? Oh, Scott. All right. I hate to say it, we've got to cut this short because we have so much to do. If you're cool with it, let's do another Nuts and Bolts. I'm all for it. I think we've got plenty of material. All right, so uh, go ahead, guys. We're going to head off into the sunset. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter. Check out our blog and our website. And if you have something you'd like to add to our discussion, send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.